News of the Times, Frightful Fridays, Prison Hulk Horrors. Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode, we look at the infamously worst of the worst prison hulks that were created and put to use to meet the surplus of convicts post the American Revolution. These floating, rotting, disused ships were converted to take the strain on the overpacked prisons of the time. Prisoners who would have been sent to the American colonies at least early on were now stuck in the English penal system. Our regular subscribers will have already heard some of the many horrors associated with England's prisons. Considered the worst of all were the prison hulks, decommissioned ships that had been converted into floating prisons. Lovers of Charles Dickens will already be familiar with prison hulks, with famous baddie Magwitch from Great Expectations. The hero of the book, Pip, helps Magwitch describes as a fearful man, all in coarse grey, with great iron on his leg, who limped and shivered and glared and growled, who has managed to escape to the marshes from the wicked Noah's Ark. In this episode of Frightful Fridays, we take a look at the history of some of the stories of prisoners from the prison hulk system in England between 1776 and 1857. We hope you enjoy the show. About prison hulks. In 1776, against the backdrop of the American Revolutionary War and a sudden cessation of felon transportation to Britain's North American colonies, England grappled with a burgeoning prison population. With conventional facilities bursting at the seams, a parliamentary response emerged, the introduction of prison hulks. As a temporary solution, Parliament enacted legislation permitting the utilisation of prison hulks for a two-year period and at the end of the two years, the use of prison hulks were continued. The innovative approach sought to divert the overflow of male convicts from conventional incarceration to hard labour and imprisonment aboard decommissioned naval vessels moored on the Thames. The hulks, repurposed remnants of naval glory, became an unconventional yet pragmatic measure to contend with the challenges posed by overcrowded prisons during a critical juncture in British history. Some 25 different prison hulks were operating at any given time. They were stationed mainly along the Thames estuary at Deptford, Woolwich and Chatham, but also at Plymouth and Portsmouth. From the Daily News, on the 28th of December, 1849, the great prisons of London, everyone has heard of the hulks. Most of the holidaymakers from the gentle land of cocaine have seen convicts at work in the arsenals and dockyards of Woolwich or Chatham. The hulks were first adopted as a temporary expedient 
and are for overcoming a temporary difficulty. Up to the middle of the last century, England had been in the habit of shipping off its criminals to its American colonies, much as it had more recently done to Australia. The transportation system was in full operation when the American War of Independence broke out, and the markets of crime were suddenly closed. There was no penal settlement in foreign lands to send offenders to, and the jails of the country rapidly filled. Facts about prison hulks. The use of prison hulks was solely implemented for male prisoners, including children, records showing the youngest to be ten years old. In general, the majority of those doomed to a prison hulk had been convicted of robbery of some form or another. Later in its history, it was the place to send the prisoners who had escaped regular prison as a type of increased punishment. In 1841, there were 216 10- to 15-year-old children jailed within one of the several prison hulks in operation. In 1842, it saw the highest number of inmates on prison hulks in one year, with 4,280 inmates. Of these, over 3,500 were sent on to Van Diemen's Land, Tasmania. The average mortality rate on board the prison hulks was over 25%. Hard labour. For many, existence aboard prison hulks translated into an unrelenting cycle of arduous toil. The dockyards at Chatham, Portsmouth, Plymouth and Gibraltar, and even as far-flung as Bermuda, bore witness to the silent struggles of men consigned to the confines of these floating prisons. From dawn till dusk, convicts toiled relentlessly, their efforts shaping the very foundations of these maritime hubs. Their labour involved the construction of wharves and embankments, the excavations of ditches and the levelling of earth to enhance riverbeds, facilitating improving navigation for incoming and outgoing vessels. These dockyards proved treacherous grounds for the unskilled labour force. In 1825, the tragic demise of convict Thomas Merrick unfolded as he became wedged between two timbers in the Portsmouth dockyard. The subsequent year... Another harrowing incident in Portsmouth, where convict Joseph French met his end with a fractured skull, struck by timber falling from a cart. By 1831, a desperate prisoner lamented, asserting that a convict's well-being was of little concern, citing the frequent occurrence of accidents ranging from broken limbs to amputations a consequence of stones and timber plummeting on the unskilled and unwitting prisoners. Such accounts unveil the harsh realities endured by those consigned to the gruelling existence within the perilous precincts of these maritime workhouses.
Descriptions of the prison hulks. Journalists and reformists allowed to visit the prison hulks describe them thus. Within the lower layers of the ship, each deck was divided by two rows of iron railings within the centre. Behind the railings were open cells with hammocks which accommodated 240 men per deck. Many prisoners were described as having no shirt or shoes or socks. Food was scarce and invariably mouldy, with the water being used coming from the Thames, filtered as well as it could be at the time. The prison hulks were, by all accounts, the worst of the worst in penal correction. Given how time on the prison hulks increased one's chances of dying by over 25%, it is no wonder what fearsome attempts to, as at escape were tried repeatedly. From the Morning Chronicle, the 7th of August, 1802, very considerable works are now carrying on at the Royal Dockyards at Woolwich. The convicts belonging to the Preston Hulk to the number of about 150 being employed on shore in wheeling barrows of earth, bricks, etc. On Thursday morning, about half past eight o'clock, when the convicts returned from their hulk after breakfast, a number of thefts, evidently in a previously concerted manner, rushed up to one of their keepers, who kept a gate leading into the dockyard armed with a large clasp knife. They demanded the gate to be opened. He replied he had not got the key. He had no sooner given the answer than he was rushed and knocked down. The key was taken out of his pocket and the gate opened. They then rushed out of the gate to the number of about 14, which led them into the dockyard. The alarm was instantly given and they were pursued by several keepers armed with loaded muskets. One of the keepers levelled his musket at one who was armed with a knife when he was about thirty feet from him. The bullet entered the left side of his head, which drove part of his skull and brains into his hat. He instantly fell lifeless to the ground. Another was shot in his left side, but he was not dead last night. Four of them contrived to scale the wall of the yard, which would have led them into an open field, but several of the keepers anticipated their design and ran to the field. When the convicts had got on the top of the wall, the keepers told them if they did not instantly return, they would blow their brains out, which induced them to return. An express having been sent off to Woolwich Barracks to General Lloyd, informing him of the mutiny, he ordered soldiers to beat to arms, and fortunately the men were all out on exercise and ready to march. In about twenty minutes the dockyard was surrounded by several horsemen, and they were followed by several hundred footmen of the Royal Artillery, several of the convicts being missing. A number of the horsemen were dispatched to beat about the neighbourhood, woods and hedges, but in vain they could not be found. However, all those that were missing were at length discovered, concealed in various parts of the yard. But the last missing man was not found 
till between three and four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the soldiers perceived him lying under some old timber. He refused for a considerable time to come out, till the soldier threatened to run him through, and the soldier actually entered his shoulder several inches with his bayonet before he would come out. This story from 1811 recounts another bulk attempt to escape the hellhole prison hulk, again based in Woolwich. From the Kentish Gazette, the 1st of October, 1811, Wednesday morning at about two o'clock, 37 of the convicts escaped from on board one of the hulks stationed off Woolwich. The manner in which they effected it was as follows. They cut through the ceiling and timbers of the hulk, just under her bends, and taking advantage of the time of low water when the vessel had grounded, made a hole through her bottom sufficiently large for a man to creep out. Having jumped onto the sand, they waded ashore, and made off in the direction towards Shooter's Hill. Several had their irons on, and it is supposed that many more would have got away had not one of the prisoners, in his great anxiety to get clear of the ship, jumped upon a comrade below who lustily roared out, Murder! The alarm was instantly given, and the remainder were secured. The military are in pursuit of those who got off and have already brought in fifteen of them. So, what was life like for the prison convict banished to a prison hulk? This article from 1832 outlines the life and punishment of the average convict of a prison hulk. It certainly, from a historical view, sounds like a sanitised version of what was the reality on a prison hulk. From the Old England on the 30th of December 1832, Convicts in the Hulks. It is well known that for a series of years, prison hulks or prison ships have been stationed at Woolwich for the reception of convicts generally, but more especially for the detention of those who are sentenced to seven years' transportation. For those receptacles of the guilty, several escapes have lately taken place, and several symptoms of insubordination have recently been evident. In order to check this prevalence, a lad of the name of McGuinness, the son of, the son of a pugilist, lately removed from Newgate, where his behaviour was of a bad description, was brought up and in the presence of several hundreds of his companions received a severe flogging, which has had a salutary effect as he has ever since been docile and tractable. Several letters have lately been sent by secret means to the friends and relatives of the convicts in order to levy pecuniary contributions, and it is apprehended that by clandestine means they wish to raise a fund among to carry into effect some unlawful object, but if so their plan is frustrated. The following is an extract from one of the letters which shows the ingenious device which a multitude of adroit rogues can resort to. 
Dear, I am very short of everything. I want particularly money, some of which I hope you will send me. Send me down some writing paper and a stone bottle of ink. In order that the money may come safe, empty out the ink and then put as many sixpences as you can spare into the empty bottle. When you have done this, pour in some melted pitch, which will fix the money at the bottom, and then you may pour in the ink again. Contrary to general practice, it is the intention of government to draft off some of the most adroit and irregular seven-year convicts and transport them beyond the seas. The public have long been accustomed to hear of prisoners being set to work on board the hulks, but a very imperfect idea is entertained respecting them. The hulks are large vessels without masts, which have been line of battleships or frigates fitted up for the reception of prisoners. They are moored near a dockyard or an arsenal, so that the labour of the convicts may be applied to the public service. There are usually about 3,000 men in this country thus employed. At every station there is a ship which is used as a hospital for the sick. Each hulk is under the superintendence of a captain and a certain number of inferior officers with a chaplain and surgeon. On their arrival, the convicts are immediately stripped and washed, clothed in coarse grey jackets and breeches, and two irons placed on one of their legs, to which degradation everyone must submit, whatever may have been his previous rank and station. They are then sent out in gangs of a certain number to work on shore, guarded by soldiers. Out of each shilling earned for the government by the convicts, he is entitled to a penny, which is carried to his credit. But of this he receives only one-third weekly, the remainder being left in hand to accumulate until the end of the term which he is doomed to serve. Thus, it sometimes happens that a man who has been six or seven years at the hulks on his discharge is put in possession of ten to fifteen pounds and beyond, which he is supplied with an additional sum of money to defray his travelling expenses home, be it ever so remote. The strictest discipline is maintained on board the hulks, and the extreme cleansiness enforced in the vessels. The diet daily is of bread, a quarter of thick gruel morning and evening on four days of the week, a piece of meat weighing fourteen ounces before it is cooked, and on the other three days in lieu of meat a quarter of a pound of cheese. Also an allowance of small beer, and on certain occasions when work peculiarly fatiguing and laborious is required, a portion of strong beer is served out to those engaged in it. Nowhere does good behaviour meet its reward more than on board the hulks. A correct chronicle is kept of the conduct of each individual, and the captain, jointly with the chaplain, 
has the privilege of recommending annually a certain number as fit objects for a mitigation of punishment, so that it very frequently occurs that a convict sentenced to seven years' transportation only serves three or four years. There are also other inducements to orderly conduct, such as having their irons lightened and being promoted to little appointments which relieve them from severer labour. One ship, the Belrophon, stationed at Sheerness, is appropriated exclusively to the reception of boys not exceeding 16 years of age, most of whom are not expatriated but are taught various trades such as bookbinding, shoemaking, tailorwork, etc. The morals of these youthful delinquents, some of whom are not more than 10 years old, are very carefully attended to. It is, however, a lamentable fact that notwithstanding the severe lessons taught by the discipline of the hulks, very many instances occur of convicts who have been discharged again returning to the habits of dishonesty and thereby anew incurring the penalty of transportation. Whenever such instances occur, such characters are almost uniformly and deservedly banished from the country which gave them birth, and of which community they have proved themselves unworthy to remain members. Despite how reasonable life on a prison hulk sounded from the review given in 1832, escape attempts were rampant. The desperate attempt to escape the prison hulks and its sure death either by hard labour, sickness, near starvation or by a fellow prisoner captured the headlines repeatedly. This story from 1836 goes into detail of a long-term criminal and how he managed his escape. It gives a flavour of the time. We'll be back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. From the morning post the 1st of October 1836, escape from the hulks of a desperate burglar. Yesterday, information was received at all the police offices and the various metropolitan police stations of the escape of John Mason, a most notorious and desperate burglar from the Justia Hulk in Woolwich between three and four o'clock on Thursday afternoon. He was seen safe with the gang to which he was attached at three o'clock but on the convicts being mustered at four o'clock, he was nowhere to be found. How he effected his escape is at present a mystery. The convict, who has been long known to the police by the names of John Mason, alias John Skinner, alias Skinner Mason, alias Mason John Skinner, alias Roger, 
alias Splodger, alias Splasher, from his having remarkably large feet, is a most desperate character, having on several previous occasions affected his escape from the custody of several officers and broken out of nearly a dozen watch-houses and houses of correction. On the 15th of March last, he, in company with three companions, burglariously entered into the house of an aged man named James Stackbury at Stoke Lynn near Fencourt in Oxfordshire, whom, after robbing him of nearly everything he possessed, they attempted to murder, but were frustrated in their diabolical design when they effected their escape. Mason's three companions were, however, shortly apprehended at Bicester in Oxfordshire and committed for trial at the Lent Assizes, when they were convicted and sentenced to transportation for life. Mason, however, for a length of time eluded the vigilance of the police. Although several rewards were offered for his apprehension, one of £20 being offered by Viscount Chetwind, during which time he was concerned in several burglaries committed in the neighbourhood of Hammersmith, Kensington, North End, Fulham and other places, but always he effected his escape. He was, however, subsequently apprehended by Police Constable Barnes of the B Division, and after a desperate struggle at a public house in Orchard Street, Westminster, after which he was conveyed heavily ironed in a cart to Watford, and from thence to Bicester. Previously to leaving the neighbourhood of the town, the Watford constable allowed him to stop to see some of his friends, who all reside in the neighbourhood of Fulham, at the Star and Garter public house, Kensington, when they were surrounded by about forty desperate characters, and on his getting into the cart, he struck the officer a violent blow with his handcuffs, and there, no doubt, he would have effected his escape had not a party of the tea division come up at that moment and kept the mob back whilst the constables galloped off with their prisoner. At the last Oxford Assizes, he was convicted and sentenced to eight years' labour in chains at the Hulks, and at the expiration of that period to transportation for life. He is about 22 years of age, five feet six high, fresh complexion and visage, brown hair, brown eyes, eyebrows, lashes, large nose, nose common, stoutly made, with scars on the right side of his head, on the back of his left hand and on the second joint of his left thumb, he was dressed in grey dress of the Hulk, and had a piece iron on one of his legs. This story from 1856 was one of the last prison Hulk escapes recorded, as the use of the ships was abolished in 1857 after tremendous efforts by prison reformers. From the Dorset County Chronicle on 9th of October 1856, Attempted escape of convict. In consequence of the repeated attempts to escape, which have been recently made by the prisoners on board the convict 
hulks lying off Woolwich, precautionary measures have been adopted by the police at the Arsenal and Convict Board. Nevertheless, a man named Michael Brothers, undergoing sentence of penal servitude on board the Hulk defence, having previously disguised himself on Friday morning, took the opportunity of mixing with the crowd of labourers, leaving at eight o'clock for breakfast, and passed through the gates undetected. At this hour, everyone employed in the various departments, with the contractor's men amounting to about 11,000 persons, retire in a mixed and confused body, so that the means of escape in any kind of working dress must appear to be comparatively easy. The man had procured a pair of trousers which were found to have been hastily sewn together and were composed of old bed ticking. These had been concealed until he fancied the moment was ripe for his escape underneath his prison garb and, being engaged in work in the cast-iron foundry, had no difficulty in providing himself with a long overcoat. He had also obtained a painter's soiled cap, and thus equipped, he had made his way as far as one of the principal thoroughfares of the town, namely Paris Street. The crowd having somewhat dispersed, the awkward fit of the nether garment, as well as its texture, excited the suspicion of a labourer who was walking by the convict's side. The labourer immediately returned to the gate and gave information to the police of what he suspected. This led to the fellow's speedy capture. His features were blackened with coal dust, and so complete was the disguise that it was some time before he was recognised even by the warder from whose charge he had effected his escape. An investigation was at once instituted into the circumstances, but nothing transpired to induce the governor to attach suspicion to any persons connected with the establishment of having aided or abetted the escape, although it may appear certain that he must have received assistance. We finish this episode with a nod to one of the most famous escapes from a prison hulk, that of Magwitch in Dickens's classic Great Expectations, which we alluded to earlier. That internationally famous escape took place in 1860, highlighting the conditions of the evil Noah's Ark. In England, the prison hulk system was ended in 1857, to the relief of many. However, the memory of prison hulks and their infamous notoriety as a floating place of death remains. That concludes this episode of Frightful Friday's Prison Hulk Horrors. We very much hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, we will be grateful if you could like or subscribe to our little channel. We upload five days a week. Mondays are murderous as we delve into the dark side of Regency and Victorian crime. Wednesdays are wicked where we pull together stories with a similar theme, such as Doctors of Death. 
Fridays are frightful, where we look at crimes in a location, such as stories from the stage to murder and scandal in the aristocracy. Saturdays is Serial Killer Saturdays, where we investigate serial killer stories from the past. And Sundays is a bit of fun, with a unique mini murder mystery where you, the listener, have a chance to solve a murderous riddle. On the last Sunday of the month, we offer a two-hour compilation of stories based around a theme. Thank you again for watching and listening. This has been News of the Times, and I am Robin Coles.